today changes my whole entire life. Welcome to Gritability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen, and with me in the studio today is the beautiful and ever-radiant Ro Clausen. Hello. I'm not even going to waste any time saying anything because we have an amazing guest, so I'm going to throw it back to you. Nice. So with us today, we do. We have a very special guest in the studio and dear, dear friend of ours. Uh, since we got out here, you know, moved out to Las Vegas and we're looking to connect and meet amazing people. And this was one of the first people that I really connected with, had an opportunity to get to know a Vegas native, Caleb Dawkins. Yeah, no, it's such a pleasure, one, to be here with both the Radiant role and Adam uh, I, I like you more in the studio when we're not out there running <laughs> uh, mountains and doing all that crazy stuff. But uh, it's been a privilege and a pleasure uh, and been blessed just to have you both in my life and meet you here in Las Vegas. Um, amazing story. One of the most motivating couples that I've ever met. Um, and I think about you guys as I go into my day to day um, when I'm going and doing financial analysis and things such as that. Just hearing about what you have went through, what you both went through and seeing how can I take some of those stories and implement that in my own life to say, like, hey, like, if Adam can do it, you know, I could do it. Maybe not just as, as well as Adam do it, uh, does it, but it's, again, just been a great opportunity to, to know you know you both. I love, thank you. Yes, I love yes. hearing that, though. I love being able to inspire people with our stories. Yes, and listen, talk about inspiring stories. Yeah. I mean, you're someone who has your own incredible story. That's why you're here with us today, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, nothing nothing comes easy in life. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely believe that I've, I've done some great things. Uh, still don't think I'm like utmost successful, but I'm better than when I was yesterday. And and that oh. that in itself is just a, is, is a blessing because some people don't even get that opportunity um, to say those things. So I'm um, happy to be here and just talk about my roadmap and, you know, what I had to go through experiences that I had to witness to get here today. Well, very cool. Just a little bit of background here so that all of our audience, uh, they understand kind of how we came together. You know, when we first moved out here, Ro and I, when I tell you, she picked me up with the car packed and it's like, let's go. Yeah. We're going to Vegas, right? Yeah. yeah. And it looked a certain way in my mind. And listen, we've been super fortunate, right? So many things worked out perfectly for us, been able to meet great people, went to work at an organization that was serving individuals coming out of the system. Mm -hmm. And it was funny, I was there in a closet, literally. My office was in a closet. So I was kind of like away from everybody, but as I'm like getting to know everybody and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, feeling my way around, finding out what we're doing, like what's actually happening, I keep hearing this name, Caleb, Caleb, he keeps calling. He wants to do this financial literacy. And I'm like, how come nobody's calling him back? He works where? He works at JP Morgan. I was like, no one's called Caleb back. Like, give me his phone number. Let me call him. Yeah. So I called and I remember, you know, when we first got a chance to talk, and you were so excited about coming in. I was like, damn, 
I don't know too many bankers who are like, <laughs> who are eager to come in and work with individuals coming out of the system. I was just going to ask, like, did you give your background on your first conversation? Oh, good question. I don't, I don't think so. So, so would you go ahead? I so wanna... I'm thinking Adam, cause you don't see anything. It's just email. So I just think, Hey, it's just some random guy, HR or something like that, that I have to go through these technical things to make sure that, uh, you know, we can come in and teach financial liter literacy to the clients. Um, and then I think we get on that phone call and I'm just kind of saying, hey, this is my my view. You know, this is what I think. This is the vision of the the classes. Like, what do you think? Um, he's like, yeah, I like that. We kind of talk about business. Then after that, just kind of small talk. And I think that's when you said that you were going to uh, – a, the, the gym for one of the programs that you were working with and I was like oh which gym are you going to and then I think you said culmination uh -huh. CrossFit yep, yep. and I was like what culmination CrossFit because I at the time was attending a gym called culmination CrossFit and I was like oh he's another CrossFit guy and you know how CrossFit people are they just kind of like or a cult yeah <laughs> absolutely so then you were like yeah we go there i think once a week or so uh and then we just kind of hit it off and you're like matter of fact you should come come down and i think this was at another location yep. um and then from there i think that's where kind of the relationship just boomed and i just became super addicted to the workouts i tried to compete <laughs> with them as i'm like i'm not gonna let this old dude get me <laughs> did he just call you old <laughs> And then, he did. and then he like, he kicked my ass and I was like, yeah, I definitely need to start working out with him. Um, and ever then, ever since then, I think we've been running uh, on most weekends, get the, the privilege of running with Ro. And CJ. And CJ. The, yeah. he's, I, I've kind of lowered my, my standards. He's my competition right now. <laughs> just because he barely learned how to walk like maybe a, a, about a year or so ago. So that's kind of pretty much how, how the relationship started. Um, and then it's just the energy. I mean, I think I'm a pretty motivated person. Then you meet Adam and Ro and you're like, oh, I mean, I'm kind of motivated. So, Oh, man, don't listen. Don't <laughs> underestimate this guy, right? When, when I invited you to come out to CrossFit, and hey, shout out to CrossFit Culmination, which is right next door exactly, here. Exactly, yep. That's where you were originally yep, going. Yep. And they have another uh, location on the other side of town. Well, not really the other side of town, but a little ways over. Mm -hmm. And that's where we were meeting up as part of the Phoenix. And at the time, we were working out with that community. And they, too, were a partner, you know, bringing in individuals for a workout. So I was excited. You know, I'm always looking to find a way to connect over fitness. For mm -hmm. me, that's just, and it's been my experience. That was my experience in prison. I built a, a lot of long-term meaningful <laughs> relationships over that. And that's like the foundation of our relationship. So anytime I get an opportunity mm -hmm. to invite somebody to a workout and when they jump at it, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. And that was, for me, like that was an ideal start to us, you know, connecting, getting an opportunity to kind of meet each other in that space and then just build from there. And like you said, we've been we've been going ever since. And I got to acknowledge you as far as the rise challenge. Oh my goodness, this thing. This thing. Didn't you create it or you named it? I definitely did not create it. You that is for sure. Okay. Uh, because at the time, I know you were doing a lot of stuff, which is housing. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the, the essentially the rise challenge and, and Adam and Roy, you guys could jump in. It's pretty much there's three mountains in North Las Vegas. 
And of course, anytime you get that text from Adam, it's either going to be like, hey, checking in, or it's like, hey, I got this crazy ass workout idea. Are you down? <laughs> and usually it's like, it's Adam. You're like, you know, I might not be able to make it. I might not be able to walk, but I'm going to get it done because you just feel so, you, you feel so much better after you, you do it. So the Rise Challenge essentially is this three mountains. And each mountain gets a little bit higher and you hike and then you come down. I think the challenge is, is that you have to do it under two hours. Um, the reason why I kind of noted the rise challenge is because every mountain gets higher and steeper. So you're continuing to rise similar to how, you know, life should be. It's like you start at one, you start at one place and things are going to get challenging. But once you kind of look back at your journey and what you've done, you've seen like I've risen through a lot of uh, hardships um so i get a kick out of doing it all the time just because it sounds insane but i promise you when you get done it's like a great workout you feel so accomplished because it just seems something that's impossible to do and then you realize like hey this is something that i could actually uh, accomplish like I've, I've risen to do it you know so rise challenge anybody that's out there uh definitely come help me out <laughs> when i'm running with adam so come get it like open invitation we always say listen come to Vegas, we will climb a mountain with you. Mm-hmm. And for, and by we, you mean you and Caleb. She's included <laughs> in this. Like, don't don't get it messed up. Oh, yeah. Ro is definitely very humble. When I, I think I met Ro for the first time, uh, we were at another CrossFit gym and you were pregnant. And I'm like, this is insane. Like, <laughs> she is like going. And I told her after the workout, like, hey, I know you did a great job, but I just want to let you know you cheated the workout. Uh, you did one set for one person and me and you both know you have two people that you're carrying right now. <laughs> so where's the baby set? And just, I think it's just a, a, just a beautiful marriage in terms of how you guys motivate, how you guys are hungry and push one another. And when I get around that, I'm like, look, if I could just be like CJ, I'm happy. So thank you. I appreciate it. But I don't like to go up the mountains. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, but. no, no. And uh, listen, Fitness is, as I said, that's a great way to come together, but I think there's more to it, right? Everybody knows our story. We've shared our story numerous times, uh, but I think a lot of where that <clears throat> connection comes from is your background as well. Yeah. And, you know, people who know you now, who've seen you in, you know, the pages of uh, Philadelphia Magazine. Yeah. 40 Under 40. Yeah. Soon to be Forbes. I'm just going to, I'm going to put it out there. Hopefully. I'm going to put it out there. You're going to be Forbes 30 under 30. I mean, you're doing amazing things, right? And the point of us coming on here and not only celebrating successes, but Mm -hmm. it's really about looking back Mm -hmm. at the, the adversities that we have to overcome to get there. Yeah. Because people see the finished product and like, damn, that's, that's where I want to be. But it's helpful to know like what you actually had to go through to get there. Right, right. And you've had some some of your own personal challenges, and those are things that, yeah. uh, man, I'd love for you to share because I've heard you talk a, talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, what some of those challenges look like for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, like I said, no, no road is smooth. Um, there's definitely been rock bottoms. There's been highlights. I think, um, I guess I I would talk about my journey coming here to Las Vegas. Um, so when I came here, I hated it. Uh, my my mom's side of the family is from L.A., uh, Compton, California. My dad's side of the family is from Flint, Michigan. Um, and we would move in between uh, from time to time. And 
we we had a blessing because my grandparents they were you know pretty pretty decent so they were able to kind of get us a home here in las vegas but this is in 2007. so we had bought a beautiful home my dad at the top of the market so this is right before the recession um and then the recession hits in 2008 so the home that they originally purchased is underwater mm-hmm. meaning they paid way more money than its actual value and this is just because of the great recession and everything that's going on as a result going to stores and just seeing how like you know i couldn't we couldn't buy as much stuff you know um things were very tight and then of course you know my mom and dad were dealing with their situation so they were kind of going you know in and out of the relationship moving and you know a, a, a number of other things at the time uh, i think this is high school i was going to mojave high school here in north las vegas um people title it as like the notorious mojave high school um, and that's because if you look at just statistic rates at the time, I think we got more people like the graduation rate was like 50% on a good day. Mm. So I don't know if it's much better these days. Yeah. So, and, and it's just the type of people, like, I, I don't think like I was very wealthy or on the, even on the high end of the middle class or anything of 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 that sort but when i was attending that school as i seemed as i was privileged as we had one of the largest homeless populations in the city at that time Mm -hmm. um so it was like a school where you kind of went in and you didn't really get out if you got to college if you got to you know csn like hey you're great you're doing better than most so csn is a college of southern nevada if you were doing just something and you weren't in jail or didn't get arrested or you just alive after coming out of Mojave High School, it's like, that's a win. Wow, um, just alive. Yeah. That's not and, a very high bar. Right, and, and and when I say alive, it's like I don't wanna over like sell it or make it seem like it was worse, dangerous. I had to you know look out for my life. It's just that people didn't find any other way out but what was in their communities sure. and what they were used to. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to live, they're just trying to put food on the table. Hey, and these are the things that work at the time. Um, sometimes you had to pick that over going to school. So you didn't have that many mentors. Uh, I kind of looked at it different. So what you would see is that I would have a lot of my classes with some of the very intelligent people, but I would hang out with some of the people that were not doing the right things just because that is where my family came from. Those are the people that I could relate to. Um, and I saw education as my way out. Um, I think the biggest struggle is because I attended a high school that wasn't that great. I often had ceilings placed on me, um, meaning like, hey, I want to I go to USC, you know, on a full tuition scholarship. Like, that is my dream before I came in. And you, you knew that back then? Like, that's what I wanted to do. Okay. Like, that's what I wanted to do, regardless of what high school that I attended. And I would often see me going into my counselor office with these dreams. And I think what they try to do is say like, hey, these are great dreams, but like have a backup plan. But in my mind, I felt like, why are you like, I don't need a backup plan. Like, mm-hmm. this is what's going to get done. Um, and in my way, it felt like it was defeating in some ways. My senior year came in, and uh, we were a turnaround school. That's essentially saying that because our graduation rates were so low, the government, the state of Nevada, had to come in, and they fired 50% of the staff, and they had to hire brand-new staff, brand-new wow. principal. So you're a senior in high school. This is supposed to be like your best year of high school. You know everybody you've been. When I went in there, this is a brand new school. I remember I used to always go into my principal's office, say hi, 
you know, I was getting good grades at the time. And I think the first day that I went in there, they kicked me out because they didn't know who they didn't know who I was. There was no relationship or anything like that. So this is a brand new school. Mm. On top of that, you have local news that is constantly covering it. And once you get deemed a turnaround school, it's like, hey, you guys are so bad that we you we really needed to get to get it together. So then my view of actually going to college and getting a degree and all of that stuff seemed like almost impossible. But I think I was it wasn't something that I wanted to do, but it was something that I needed to do only because I've seen what my, my mother and my family were going through. And I know that I didn't want this to continue to be my life going out. So I need to figure out a way out. Like, how are we going to change the trajectory of where my family legacy is going to go? And at the time, it seemed like it was education. Um, I, I played basketball at the time, but I haven't grown since I've been in kindergarten. Um, and football wasn't the fastest person. And I was decent at track, but I hated running. You know, I always hated running. Like, this is the sport that I did not want to be good in. Um, so I use education as my, my, my way out. Um, and right now, I think Vegas has a big thing going on with like teachers and things such as that. I really am so blessed to have had a great math teacher. Um, because there were times where I had to walk to and from school, uh, which was a little bit more of a mile because mom was at work and she was working two jobs and things such as that. And I had a math teacher that would take me, you know, back and forth where I could have been doing a lot of other things, mm -hmm. hanging out with some friends, getting into trouble, but he really took me under the, under the wing. And I say that just because I really believe my math teacher assisted me to where I am today. And I still talk to him to this day. What's his name? His name is uh, Corey Gaither. So Mr. Gaither, if you're out there, Shouts out to you, man, because I would not be out here without you. So um, I love that. With that being said, senior year, they told me that, hey, you should just look at, you know, CSN and UNLV, like, just have that as a backup plan. Honestly, it pissed me off. I'm like, no, don't place a ceiling on me. Um, I had applied to over 30 universities. Everything was strategic. Uh, I had a set plan, an Excel sheet. I knew who was gonna pay for what. I knew that I was below the income level so I could get a lot of stuff funded. And I had an entire process. How did you know all of that? Just Google and research. Um, that's, that's. listen, most people I know like at that age yeah. are not doing that kind of research. But I think you, when it's something that you really want, you go out there and get it and you, you figure it out. You. But that's why you're on credibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. like the fact that there was no backup plan for you, yeah. a lot of people would have just gone to the street. Exactly. They were so, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I mean, again, this wasn't like a living plan. This is where surviving. Because, yeah. like, I, I had dreams and ambitions that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to achieve in my current position. Yeah. So how do I change my environment and get that? And education was a way. So if I'm going to be able to, to find this opportunity, I need to be a master of this, this task that's at hand. So I did the research. Um, sometimes I would probably put the research more o on that case than doing my homework or some sort. But like, I, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to do that. Let um, me ask you one more, like where did that resolve come from? Cause you yeah. said you got angry yeah. when they said, when they put that limit, like have that backup plan. Yeah. Where did that resolve come from? I think one is like, I'm always the biggest believer of the underdog. I, I love the fact like, if you really want Caleb to do something, tell him that he can't do it. Um, and the fact that we had so much focus of the state of Nevada, we had uh, politicians that were looking at this school and we were kind of labeled like the bad school, the ghetto school. And it's like, regardless of where you come from, doesn't mean anything, it's where you go. 
And I wanted to prove to people at that age that even coming from Mojave, regardless of what you said, is like that does not place a ceiling on myself. And I want to prove you wrong that I can go to any institution and I'm still able to get, you know, get out. And the reason why I love that is because you could go to any private school and you could get book smarts. I wasn't the smartest person, but what Mojave taught me is street smarts. How do I operate in a world that is not, you know, based on books? How do you navigate some of these life situations? And that's experience that none of my other, some of the students that go to some private institutions wouldn't have. Not saying that it's 100% like that, but what I am saying is I'm working on a different, I'm working on a different, uh, I guess, muscle that other people are not coming out. I can be able to talk with some of the brightest, some of the wealthiest, but I can also relate to those individuals that have a different lifestyle that are not at that. And I think making it out was the reason. I just wanted to prove to people and be able to come back and say, hey, I did it, so you can too. Um, so that's kind of where where that, that dream and that hunger came from. Wow. I think that's why, yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why you guys get along so well because there's so many similarities in your personalities, yeah. although you present so differently. But I love, oh my God, I love this. Well, listen, I did not have that sort of resolve when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Like I was the one who basically was like, all right, F it, man, I'll go the other way. And that's why I'm fascinated by it because you had that early on. And I often look back, I'm like, okay, so when I got hit with a life sentence, yeah, when I was actually faced with that, people say how they would like to respond to a situation. Right. But, you know, it's not until you, Mike Tyson, until you get punched in the face. You don't know what to do. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, and for you, it sounds like you had that resolve so early on. Yeah. You knew you were so clear on what that vision was. And that's why I was curious kind of where that came from. Obviously, it worked out well for you. Yeah. You got exactly to where you wanted to be, which was? Yeah. So I end up, like I said, I, I got it. I applied to 30 universities. Um, I got into 28. Wow. Um, and I was able you to You never get, told me that before. <laughs> yeah. So I got into 28 universities. Um, and I think over the span of that year, I had uh, got over a million dollars uh, in scholarships from all of the Ooh. institutions. Um, USC actually paid full tuition. Um, I had to pay for housing, but still had to take out student loans because living in L.A. is super expensive. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't think it was me by myself. It really takes a village. So I had a counselor that I would blow up and annoy. I had a math teacher. And I think now that I'm thinking about like what really gave me that 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 hunger is just honestly, I just wanted to change the outcome for my family. You know, mm. honestly, it's just like some of the people ask like, Kayla, why did you major in accounting at USC? It's just because a lot of the arguments that were going in my house were about finances, wow. money here, money spent that. And in my mind, I was like, well, one account accountants usually have a more uh, more probability of getting a job once graduated, but they also are very good at following the money. So in my mind, the reason why I wanted to be an accountant is because I felt like if I had an accountant in my family, maybe it would still kind of be together. You know what I'm saying? Um, So I used that as kind of like, hey, this is kind of my why. This is what I wanted to do. So, yeah, I was able to get into USC. And I didn't really know what the hell to do after that because, like, that was the goal. Like, we got into college. And then that that was just insane because, like, I went to a predominantly black and Latinx institution. So now where you're going to the University of Southern California and like you're seeing actors, kids, um, you're seeing like Arnold Schwarzenegger's son pull up in like a Lamborghini. Uh, you see Jamie Foxx's daughter walking down the quad. Like 
these are just things that blow your mind because that's not what you're used to. So you kind of come in with a chip on your shoulder like, yo, did I just get into USC because they just needed to hit the diversity requirement? Mm. You know what I'm saying? So now I have to start over this entire process of saying, do I really belong here? Like, do I belong in this institution? I didn't speak like some of the other students. Um, and you're constantly with them. At least when you're at school, you get to go back home. Whereas now, you know, I, I sleep there. So like, this is who I am. And I constantly had to, I guess, talk in a language, use big words that I don't normally use just so I didn't want people to feel that I was stupid. So that in itself of going to a four-year um, private institution in the middle of L.A. was like a shit show in itself, you know, uh, just because it was very depressing at times. It's like, yo, I don't, I don't belong here. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think at one point it got so bad where I actually took a semester off. And I came back home to help my mom and dad. And I think that was like the ultimate rock bottom. Like, dude... Like, you're just going to be another college dropout. You're, like, supposed to be this big, bad guy, come out of the school, you get into a four-year university, and you don't even you don't even get the degree done in four years. You got to take an extra semester off. We call those super seniors. And I beat myself up. I mean, like, I really beat myself up because I didn't reach my goals. But having, like, gritability, perseverance, I think that situation in itself is really the reason why I'm here today literally and figuratively. And the reason why I say that is because when one door closes, you know, another door opens. So when I came back to Las Vegas, I was working at a Bank of America um, just to kind of get money. I was taking like uh, two classes at UNLV or, uh, and there was a financial advisor that was at my branch. This guy came in later than I did and left in earlier and he made 10 times as much money. And I was like, dude, what do, what do you do? <laughs> um, and that's when I was like, you know what, I, I might want to do this financial advisement thing because you're essentially teaching individuals how to manage their wealth. But my goal wasn't to try to make the rich richer. It was like, how do I take some of the knowledge that the wealthiest individuals are doing in the world and how can I bring that to communities like mine, families like mine, so that they can have the same access to the information? Um, and that was the goal. But the reason why I say this, the taking a semester off really helped is because what that did is that extended my my summer so I could do an additional internship. At that point, I was only doing three internships, um, and I was with uh, public accounting firms. This allowed me to do an extra internship that normally seniors wouldn't be able to do, and that's when I started interning at J.P. Morgan. So to put it all, if I didn't take that semester off, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, and I beat myself up for it. But like that's probably one of the best decisions that I could have made because that is honestly why I'm able to work at the firm and do the things that I am because I took that semester off. How'd you get into J.P. Morgan? Because um, I mean that's not like a small yeah <laughs> business that's easy yeah. to find your way into. Yeah. So that was like another door that closed. This is like, look, I love networking. I love talking to people, and I love helping people make money and just learning. So I'm like, in terms of like being a wealth manager, this could have not been like a better job. I'm like, I know this is what I want to do. It's like I couldn't, I couldn't go to the NBA because again, I didn't, I didn't grow since I was in kindergarten. But I could manage some of the NBA players' money. So this was like kind of my way in of like doing the music, doing kind of the the professional athletes and the entertainers, but also doing it while teaching them how to manage wealth. Um, so 
I got an opportunity to interview, and this is this is actually uh, my key on networking. Um, because when I went to look at the internships, I was actually walking um, walking home from class, and my biological father he had he had just got out of prison at the time, and like we didn't have a, a, a the best relationship or anything like that, and it's not on on his fault. It's just I I didn't meet him until a later time, and there was other circumstances that prevented that. So usually when you get on the phone, it's a, it's a bit awkward, you know? So you're just trying to find anything to think about. So I'm like walking, I saw like a JP Morgan Chase branch or some sort. And I was just trying to create conversation. I was like, Hey, you, you know, anybody at uh, JP Morgan Chase, like not thinking anything of it, mind you, he had just released from prison. You're not thinking that he has any of these connections or anything like that. And he was like, yeah, I do. And I think that changed kind of changed my mentality of trying to judge people and, you know, judging a book by its cover rather than like actually talking to them and seeing who they were like changed my whole concept of like who people knew because if it wasn't for my biological father who was released from prison i would never known that i could do a jp morgan private banking internship because he then connected me with somebody that was in the private bank at the time that got me in for the interview wow so that's and and i use that story all the time because when people are like, Caleb, how do you get prospects or clients? It's, I talk to anybody and everybody because everybody knows some person. So when you're talking to a person across the table, don't be so quick to judge because you don't know the shoes that they're walking into and you don't know who's going to be the person to give you your next referral. It was because of my biological father that, again, I'm here today. So I go to L.A., I interview for this internship, I go in and I kill it, like hands <laughs> down, crush it. But then I get the email and I'm like, yo, they're about to give me my internship offer. We're about to be good to go. Mama, we made it. Stacking dough now, you know, all of this stuff. And they give me the unfortunately, Oof. and you already know what that looks like. I remember coming home from my work study job in my beat up Honda Civic and pulling into a parking lot and just crying. Because like, this is something that I wanted to do. I got out of Mojave High School. I got into USC. I got the internship and again, another door shuts and it's like when is the world gonna see like look i might not be perfect right now but just give me a shot just let me get an opportunity to get in there and i'll tell you that i'll do anything and everything that you need me to do to make sure that when i walk out i'm one of the best people um that you've hired just give me a shot just give me a chance of course internships don't work like that so i use this as an opportunity to say like hey let me intern in new york in another department of the bank and I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to get my foot in the door. I chose New York because New York was where JP Morgan is headquartered. That's one of the biggest businesses for private banking. And if I have my foot in the door, I have access to the directory so I can just now email everybody and try to show them who I am. Don't judge me by just my resume, judge me by a person that has more personality, work ethic, um, and more than just a piece of a paper. So I, I use that as my way to get in. Man, I hope people are taking notes right now. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Right? Like they need, you need to be taking notes right now on how he did this because that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's perseverance, right? You got yeah. the unfortunately, the, that's the Dear John letter. Like, yeah. sorry, it's not working out. Yeah. Um, but you didn't let that stop you. And it's amazing to me, you have the foresight you know, why you're going through this, yeah. why you're so upset about it. Most people are just like, damn, I missed my opportunity. Well, that's it, right? Yeah. You immediately shifted gears, figured out how to get to New York, which was 
probably a better place to be. I mean, I've never been in New York. I'm a West Coast kid. Like going to New York was just insane to me. This is this big city, trains, all of this stuff. Like I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's just taking that risk because mm -hmm. again, this is something that I knew I wanted to do. Um, and it's like, what are you willing to do? I feel like I always talk to 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 people all the time. Like if you had ten million dollars in a box and all you had to do is just unlock it, what would you do? You would come at it with a chainsaw, a sledgehammer. You would do anything possible to open it up. At that time, J.P. Morgan was my $10 million box. So what am I willing to do? Um, so I went to New York. Half the time I would do my regular internship, come in early. And then the other half, I'm like literally cold calling internal people like, hey, will you get coffee with me? And a lot of them said no. But there was some one person that would say, yeah. I don't know why they said yeah. Um, but I would get coffee with them. And then I would ask them, can you connect me with three other people? Um, so now I went from one to four people. And now this cold outreach is no longer a cold because now I'm getting a warm referral from somebody else that, hey, like, this is my friend. Can you just talk to this kid and give him a chance? Where did you get that? I mean, it just made sense at the time. Wow. Um, that just made sense to you? Like, people pay big money for this advice, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and in my mind, I don't think I had like a... I don't think I had like, this is what I'm going to do. This is my game plan. I think looking back at it, I, I, I'm putting more knowledge on it. But for me, I'm just like, I'm trying to meet as many people as possible. So like, hey, this is a job that I really want to do. Can you just connect me to three other people that will be willing to talk? And then they would connect me to three other people. And then I would each meet with each of those three people. And I would do the same thing over and over again. That's brilliant. By the time, by the time of the end of my internship that was outside the private bank, um, I had met like maybe 25 to 30 people. And then this is kind of how it comes full circle. At some point I had networked my way up to the head of the recruiting for the private bank. They're like, Hey, you should talk to her. She's the person that really connects it. I'm like, I'm thinking like I'm the man at this point. <laughs> um, because I'm going from not going to internship to like really going to the head of the recruiting department for the private bank that really helps people get into the doors. And she uh, was amazing. Deborah, I still know your name. I don't know where you are these days, but thank you so much. Um, so she said, hey, you did an amazing job at your current internship. Um, we're going to sit here and we're going to allow you to interview full time for a private banking uh, position. Like you have to submit your application after they review the application then uh, you'll get an interview if they if they want to bring you in. So the reason why this is so scary is because there's a delay. So essentially, I've already did an internship in New York that's in the East Coast, and they're giving me an offer with more money that my family has ever seen. But I know that I want to do the private bank. So am I willing to say no to this offer with just a chance to get an interview? Not a full-time job, just to get an interview. Wow. But I knew it was something that I wanted to do, <laughs> And I said, no. And if I, I guess if it didn't work out, I would probably think back and like, yeah, that was a dumb mistake. You should have just took it. But like, we're here now. So I'm like, hey, that was a smart decision to make. <laughs> so I said, no, I went into my senior year of college, not having anything set up. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I know I got student loans. I know they're going to come after me six months after I'm out of school. So we need to figure something out. And uh, finally, I was just waiting. I don't think it was until like October, uh, sometime around this year, where they actually called me and said, hey, we want to do a full-time interview with you. 
for for uh, a full-time position at the private bank. And the great thing about that was is that the four people that were interviewing me were four individuals that I had already connected with through that kind of that system. So it was no longer what? an interview. It was just it was just like, "Hey, like how's everything been?" Wow. We don't even Four people that you met through your networking because you New were York. In, in New York, because yeah. you were persistent. This is through the coffee meetups. This is just the coffee meetups. All four of them. And phone calls. And phone what? calls. This was before Zoom, so this is just phone calls. And it just became a very easy interview because I didn't have to tell them why private bank. It's like, you know, like, you know, we've already had this discussion. So, like, tell me what boxes I need to check and, like, give me a job, bro. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm here. Um Finally, I get a full-time position and it's in San Francisco. We're helping build out the team. I'm working with professional athletes and tech entrepreneurs. Um, again, another wide awake. Now I'm like next stage. Now I'm like not USC money anymore. We're talking like billionaires. Like I definitely don't belong here. Like I often tell people that back in the day, I knew far more gangbangers and drug dealers than I did anybody that had individual, like individual with $5 million, less alone 1 million, you know? And the fact that I'm over here, like, they think I'm going to be able to tell them what to do with their money. Like, that's insane. I'm just here until they, like, fire me and figure out, like, hey, we, we hired the wrong guy. Luckily, they never fired me. The team embraced me, took me under their wing. And I think the thing that I tell a lot of people that are going into some of these uncomfortable situations where you feel like you don't belong, you often don't want to be the person to ask the dumb question. Ask the dumb question. Ask the dumb question. Because usually there's so many other people that are thinking about the same thing. And once I start asking them, I became a, a better like banker. I became more knowledgeable about the things. And that just improved me. And it also created connection because mm -hmm. they respect like, yo, that is a pretty dumb question, but you've asked it. <laughs> so you have some guts. So I like you, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like in, in a nutshell, the reason why like, you know, we got here. Um, so yeah. Wow. Damn. I mean, it took you coming in here today to finally, for me to hear all this, like... Well, usually when I am talking to you, you're running and talking, <laughs> and I'm like losing a lung uh, and running out of breath, so I don't even have any words uh, while we're running. So next time, maybe, when I get my, my stamina up. Man, listen, absolutely amazing. I knew that there was more to the story. That's why I was excited to get in here and... and ask you about it and hear a little bit more yeah the four people who sat on that panel yeah right to hire you like i say it all the time like i'm here by divine design like yeah. it's not by chance too many things had to line up I, absolutely right but i also had to do my part right same thing constantly say this like you know there are some people who put it all off on like well I'll just i'll pray for it and maybe it'll happen yeah and they're not willing to do the work yeah you're the perfect example of what happens when you're willing to do the work and persevere and not take no for an answer. Yeah. And watch how things line up and just, I mean, you're here as the result of all of that. I think we, we have that dream. We have this plan of like, hey, this is how my life is going to go. These are how things are going to line up. And when that door closes, um, you kind of get discouraged. And I feel like, the biggest thing that I think I learned that is like, and even working with some of the wealthiest clients that have created some of these companies is that we focus so much on people being successful 
which I feel like is probably the least important thing because the success, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, is kind of like the after the fact, but we don't really see the journey. It's the failures that I think are the most important because the failures are the things that mold you to make sure that when the success comes, like you're ready for it because you learn through the process. Um, and I remember one of my college professors pretty much stating that if Bill Gates was successful in his first business, there would be no Microsoft. He had to fail and use what he learned from that failed business to implement those ideas into the next business to create Microsoft. Same thing with Amazon or any company. If you talk to any tech entrepreneur, they'll tell you, like, I failed at most of the companies. So it's not necessarily focus on the success. Embrace the failures. Yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck. You're going to feel discouraged. But don't think of it as like, hey, this is a block in my path. This is more of like a, a, a rock in the path. But you just got to go around it. You're still in the path towards success. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing that I found out uh, through the journey. Man. Well, it's been an amazing journey. And listen, there have been a couple other highlights. Yeah. Like I said, I'm very honored that you invited me to come along when you were uh, you know, awarded Vegas 40 under 40. Thank you for coming. Should have had Forbes 30 under 32. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Do we're, you still have time? We're right. we're working on it. Yeah. Okay. So oh, yeah. I'm I'll be 30 in June of next year. So uh Forbes, pay attention, man. <laughs> don't miss it. Yeah, put my application in. So, you know, look out for your boy. Um, if you could uh get me through, that'd be great. But Yes. Well, you've had a couple other big successes, and yeah. obviously the bank, like they know they're lucky to have you. Yeah. Like they they really know. And I know that there was a big event. Yeah. Down in Miami. Yeah. Where you had the opportunity to come down uh, and share a part of your story. And I love the fact that they're willing to celebrate that because I don't think, again, we don't hear enough of that. Like yeah. When we celebrate success, you want to just focus on the end. But they gave you an opportunity to speak. And, you know, I wish I could have been there to hear it because yeah. when you told me about it beforehand, what you wanted to do. Yeah. I was like, oh man, that's dope. Like, I want to be there. I want to yeah. be in the audience. No, nah, it was it was such an amazing opportunity. Uh, to put things into perspective, think, you know, a kid that just got rejected from an internship to where now I'm on the stage talking to like the CEO. Like, and she's like one of the most notable women in like finance, like his, like she is amazing. She's a big deal. But you're also there amongst 300 of other leaders across the bank. Like when I tell you, like, yo, I did not belong there. Like I, like I just did, that would never be in my vision. Like just trying to get a job, collect a check, go home and help mom out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they gave me an opportunity to tell my story, uh, and the reason why is because on paper, I mean, just based off of appearances, like I, you wouldn't think that I, <laughs> I manage money or I'm a wealth manager. My background does not say that I would be good at that. Didn't talk about stocks and bonds until I graduated from college and was at the bank. But what I was trying to tell them in that message is that don't look at the paper. Look at the person that has the grit, um, who has the perseverance and are willing to put the work for it. Again, some people are just doing it because some people need to do it because this is their way out. And it's those individuals that are going to be hungry and take every little second to make sure that they're the best at what they do. And JP Morgan was my way out. It was my way of getting, you know, my family out of some of the things that they were dealing with. And I was sharing that message 
to our CEO to let them know like, hey, when we're recruiting people, don't just recruit them based off of a piece of paper, but understand their why. Like, why are you here? And don't just tell me because the bank is here, but like, why are you here? Like, what is your why? Why do you wake up every morning? Why do you do the things that you do? Because that is going to be the thing that I really d- depicts those that will be very successful versus the ones that are not. It's because if your why is not online, then it's like, like, what is your purpose? And I was trying to tell them, like, when you're interviewing people, interview based off of what the purpose is and not what the background is. Because, again, it's not where you come from, but it's where you go. Um, so I had, had an opportunity to talk to them. It was it was amazing. And a lot of a lot of good uh, opportunities came from that. Um, but I think. It was a couple of months after. So this is a couple of months after I've done a lot of great things. Um and, you know, I'm, I'm still doing good at work, but it, it's still kind of showing. I think this is when this is kind of going on a set way. This is when I think I kind of felt your story more and more impactful. So, like, we, we know about your story, 213 years of a sentence. I'm, like, sitting here. I have so many different resources. I'm, like, coming from Miami, talking to senior leadership. I got CEOs. I got a couple of, you know, government officials on phone call, all of these different things. Um, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because I think this is like where I really related both to, to your story um, is I had got pulled over on the highway um, because I was I was told that I was drinking and driving. Um, Wait, you were told you were drinking and driving? I was. T- they said that I was drinking and driving. What I would say is that I was speeding. I was doing one of these crazy uh, diets, drinking two gallons of water. Um, and I'll, I'll bring it full circle. Uh, I don't drink. I've never drank in my life. Uh, I've never done any drugs or anything like that. I've never been under the influence of anything except for Tylenol or some sort like that, you know? Um, so when the police officer pulled me over, of course, I'm a black male. It's 1030 at night. Um, don't want to jump to conclusions or anything like that, but just the way that the conversation started and how the officer approached me was just not, did not make me feel comfortable at all. It was very yelling. I was going to get dragged out of a car, you know, story after story, end up coming to a point to where I'm actually getting booked to jail on a DUI. Mind you, it's the, looking back at it, it's probably one of the more funny things is because I'm the only person that's never drank (laughs) and has this thing on their record. So I'm going to jail. Essentially, I'm handcuffed. I need to go to work the next morning. Mind you, I'm like one of the top, you know, bankers in the country, and I'm sitting here in handcuffs. Um, mm. And that's when I felt be- when I was no longer a person because it's like on the outside, I have resources. There's people that I could call, and this is 12 hours. It's very short of a 20-year time period that you did. You know what I'm saying? Um and just saying, like, I have more resources than some of the other individuals that are sitting to my left and right. There's people that I can call. I mean, I have some money saved up that if things really get bad, I can hire a lawyer. But what about some of these individuals that don't have those resources, that don't understand how the legal system operates? Um, I feel like I'm a decently smart person, but I had no idea, you know, what the hell I was doing or what was going on. I'm just sitting there waiting. And the the respect is just like, they don't even, the system says that you're innocent until proven guilty. But when you go in there, you just right off the bat feel guilty for something that you didn't do just the way that people treat you. Um, and I think that's when I really was like, 
I really want to do something to change that because there's so many other individuals that don't have the opportunities that I've had or the resources that I have and are navigating to this legal system with nobody to kind of point them in the right direction. And I'm like, if I'm going through that, I damn sure know that they're going through it. And like, just imagine what you have to go through during that time period. Like I'm talking 12 hours in jail. You did 20 hours. I don't even think that's a basis point. What we would say in finance of what you have to do in terms of time. Um, and I think that's really what woke up my call. So when you told me that I met you, um, doing work of the financial literacy of the organization is like doing it because I knew other people that went in, in and out the system. So I heard stories. I knew what they had to go through. I knew what they needed to do to get more acclimated to society. But I don't think you really understand until it's you that's on the inside and all you have is a phone call and you're praying to God that the person on the other end of the phone answers. Thank God I had Adam and you picked up to go to Philadelphia, you know, um, where you were actually going to be released. And I, I think when you're thinking about timing and all of that stuff, I'm like, I don't know what God is trying to say right now, but you didn't have to throw me to jail just to, for me to understand what you had to go through. And even as he's going through that process, you know, he still picked up the phone and answered. So I appreciate that. And I wanted to make sure I said that before we got off the podcast because that meant a lot to me. Um, so thank well, you. Man, I was I was grateful that I was <clears> able <throat> to pick up that phone because I know how much it means. I've been, you know, that person calling way too many times in my life. Yeah. And there were times when nobody did pick up. So yeah. I'm grateful that I was there to be able to answer it. And man, when I tell you it hurt my heart to hear that you were in there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I wish I filmed his reaction just to show you because he it's 430 in the morning. He's getting ready to go to the airport. He's pacing. He's like, I, uh, <laughs> he, just, he was so distraught yeah. and like racking his brain to try to help you. Yeah. It just proves how the bond you guys have developed. Yeah. And I again, I just like I don't think people understand. I think we could you could do a podcast to talk about it. But I don't think people quite understand until you're that person with inmate number mm. and you're on the inside. Um, and I think it's to that point that as you said, everybody has a plan until you get hit in the face. I thought I had the connections that I, that does not work when you're in jail. You're just another number, a name, and this is kind of, this is the legal system. This is how it goes. And you just sit there and wait and you have other people that are in control of your future. Um, and I think that was the big the biggest just eye-opening, you know, experience. And like looking back at it, you find the silver lining in some of these different experiences. And I think that was it. I think I needed that because now I'm so much more passionate just to go in and just tell people like I am a resource. Like let me know what I can do to help. I'm not saying it because I think it's a good thing to say this, but but I might not know exactly what you're going through, but I got a little little bit of perspective of what it may feel like. Um, so, you let know. Me, let me just add this. That part, what you went through, yeah, is the hardest part of the process. Mm -hmm. I mean that sincerely. There are times when you sit in those cells, by the time you get to a unit, you almost feel like it's a little sense of freedom. You're like, oh God, yeah, I can finally lay down in a bed. Yeah. So that is the most difficult part. Yeah. And regardless of how long you were there, like I, I hate that you had to experience that. Yeah. The reality is that the majority of people who control our legal system mm -hmm. have never had that experience. Right. Which 
puts them at a disadvantage because they don't really understand. So exactly. you do, you have a very valuable perspective yeah. and you're in a position of influence. The fact that you are already advocating for others, yeah. um, this gives you that different, that additional level of perspective, which I know going forward is, is going to be very, very impactful. Um, and listen, ho however I can help you, you know that I'm here a thousand percent. Yeah. And I, I don't know what you're going to do or what your plans are. I know that you're doing other amazing things to contribute and continue to give back. Yeah. And I want to make sure that we do have time to focus on that because listen, like we're committed to you, man. Yeah. No, like, I, I, you know, like I said, I appreciate it. I'm just trying to ride your coattails because you, <laughs> you are the man, both you and Ro. Um, and like I said, I embrace the experience because I think the one thing, and I don't say this just because of time, the one thing that I never understood about Adam every time we ran is that he would always look up at the sky and he would say, look at the stars. And that was just one thing that just kind of blew my mind. I'm like, okay, like <laughs> it's the sky, it's the stars. <laughs> I get it. Like, hey, there might be a little bit more beautiful now than before but like I, I just didn't understand i was like oh that's great he's acknowledging that i think i started to understand more as i learned about your story but i think i really understood when i got out because boy all i wanted to do was take a shower <laughs> like <laughs> i just wanted to take a shower and i'm saying when you are prevented from doing just the things that we people who have freedom take for granted every single day and that gets revoked from you you don't understand how great it is just to see those stars. Because goddamn, when I was in there, I just wanted to see the damn stars. And when I got out, I appreciated it a lot more. Um, so that that is just one thing that I think people like listening on to this podcast is like, you really don't know until you have to go through some of these circumstances. And, and we take a lot of things every day for granted, like going to work and, and, you know, getting up in the morning, taking kids to school, going to the grocery store. There are some people that wish they could just do 10% of that, mm -hmm. that don't have the ability to do it just because they're tied up in a system that they have no control nor any understanding of how to navigate that. And that's why I feel like going back with my father, my, my biological father is where I was so judgmental. Like, hey, yo, he just got out of prison. He's not about to plug me with anybody. And it changed my mindset because little did I know is that that is a person. That is a human being, and we're so quick to judge and not so quick to understand. And I think that's what we need to do more of, just understanding. Mm, man, well put, well put. Well, you're putting a lot of positive info out there these days. Before we get out of here, tell us what you're doing with Making Sense. Yeah, so Making Sense, uh, that is a podcast that I am trying to put together. Uh, we are putting it together right now that's taking very difficult financial literacy concepts um, and putting them into things like that everyday people can understand. I hated the fact that when I was coming into investing, we made it so difficult for the average human being to understand. It's really not that difficult. Uh, so essentially on this podcast, I'll be interviewing with some of the most notable people in the financial industry, but just breaking shit down to like where you could understand. Um, so, you know, that, that is the whole goal of, of making sense. Um, and I, I essentially put it together because it's making sense. Like, yo, does that make sense? But also how do you use these things to actually make a couple of pennies? How do you make sense? 
out of it. So that's the next podcast uh, that I'll be doing. Would love for anybody out there to follow. I try to post some good information out there. Uh, follow me. I'm pretty sure the the tag uh, is here at the bottom of the screen. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we got next in plan. Would love to have you both on there at some point. Um, but again, appreciate appreciate the love and the opportunity to be on Gridability today. So. And is that that's your merch? Is that for sale? Yeah. So okay. not for sale yet. Okay. Um, still got to get a following. Um, but Man, if you like get, it, get let that up me know. in the store. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loving that. This is the pot calling the kettle black because we've been talking about that for oh, since we started. Well, so. you should definitely get some grid gridability uh, uh, clothing line. I'll definitely be your motto if you need to. There uh, we go. So cool. All right. Well, listen. It has been another incredible episode of gridability. The power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. Caleb, man, we love having you on here. We're ready to go climb another mountain with you. Yes, sir. Rise challenge coming up. We got you locked in. Yes, sir. George is back there too. George, we got you locked in. You know it, brother. Yes, we're going to do it. And maybe we'll bring CJ up the mountain with us too. I don't know. He's getting a little heavy. But <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that the next time when we get back. Um, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Ro, anything to take us out? No, but thank you, Caleb. This is one of my favorite episodes of all time. I was taking notes mentally. I appreciate it, Ro. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Of course. All right. We love you guys. We'll see you back here on the next episode of Gridability. 